Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. No topic is taboo as we explore and publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. So, are you in? Happy New Year to all my modern women. I cannot believe it is the beginning of 2022, but it feels so good to be back in the studio with you today. We have a lot to look forward to together, but I thought we should just jump right in with our first guest of the year. But before we start, imagine this. You're 30 years old and you're living at home with your mum with $5,000 to your name after spending two and a half years in London, working and travelling all around the world, visiting over 50 different countries. You were never one to follow the status quo, but all of a sudden you look around you and everyone you know is married with children. Every social event you go to, they ask if you're seeing someone. Every doctor you book in with makes a comment about your fertility, which leaves you feeling like you're running out of time to start a family. Like most single people, you're dating online, but before you know it, you've been on roughly 82 first dates. You want to eventually buy a house, get married and start a family, but life doesn't exactly go to plan. Now you're 35 years old and have been single for almost nine years, and you've begun to realize the reality of your life is very different to the one you always imagined living. So what do you do about it? Well, the only person who can answer that is our guest today, because what I just described to you is not a hypothetical situation. It is her life story. And together in this bonus episode, Navigating Life When You're Single at 35, we discuss... The pressures and realities surrounding being a single woman in your 30s, IVF and egg freezing, solo motherhood, as well as dating as a single parent. To all my modern women, our guest is the absolute epitome of a modern woman, and I am so excited to introduce to you the courageous and inspiring Ingrid Stefani. Ingrid, welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here. So let's start from the beginning. Tell me a bit about your background. So I spent a lot of my um, childhood moving around with my parents uh, for their career. And I spent a lot of my early 20s um, studying and a lot of my 20s traveling overseas whenever I could to various countries, um, volunteering as well. I became a nurse when I was 22. And since then, I've been nursing in Australia um, and in London. Okay, so let's talk about your time overseas. You said you were nursing there, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So um, I volunteered as a nurse in Vietnam in my early 20s, and I also lived in London for two and a half years. I worked in um, a community um did community nursing for a little while and then worked in discharge coordinating stuff um, in one of the hospitals in South London. I then got registered after about a year and a half being there. Uh, it took a long time to get registered um, in the UK just because of the bureaucracy around getting registered at that time. They were cutting down a lot of overseas nurses that, um, you know, were being registered, um, but I eventually did get registered and then I worked across nine different hospitals uh, in London uh, and then every single month I went to a different country or a different city um, and, yeah, it was a 
pretty good life, really. <laughs> yeah, wow, amazing. So you've had this successful career and travelled all around the world throughout your 20s. When did you return yeah. home to Australia? About a week before I turned 30. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah, so I was like, okay, this is coming up now. I need to settle down. Or I felt like I had to not travel so much and do grown-up things like save and buy a place and that's what I felt like I should do. And so when you returned home, did you feel pressure to start a family as well? I did. I I think some of that pressure came from turning 30 and having a biological clock start to tick. It also came from, I think, my own expectations of where I thought I should be in my life at 30 because I moved back to Australia and I was living in my mum's spare room, which wasn't even really a room. It was more like a garage that she'd done up. I had about $5,000 in the bank and everyone else around me had seemed to be married with children and... um, I don't know, like it felt like everyone was 10 steps ahead of me. Um, Whereas for me, I'd achieved a lot, but my achievements weren't something I could show. They were experiences and they, I'd been to 50 countries and I had all these amazing stories to tell, but I, I didn't have the thing, the, the things that I suppose the status quo had at 30. Um, and it was a humbling experience, I think, for me, because it, it did make me work harder to get those things, I think. Yeah, I get that. And so I take it you didn't have a partner that you met overseas that you brought home with you. Is that correct? No, that didn't work either, <laughs> funnily <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, no, I didn't. Um, I was in a six-month relationship when I was in London. I did a lot of dating in London. I think I knew deep down that those relationships probably weren't going to be long-term because of the caveat of we both come from different countries. Not that it doesn't work. It does work. Um, but I always sort of thought, well, it's just an extra pressure for a, rela- a new relationship um, to overcome. Um, and yeah, well, that six month relationship didn't work out. Um, and you know, that probably gave me a little bit of a push to come home as well, because I sort of thought, well, if I do meet someone, do I really want to be in London when I meet someone next? Um, so that sort of gave me a bit of a push to come home as well. So in your head, you always wanted to return to Australia. I think by that stage, I wanted to return to Australia. I think I would have struggled to be away from my family while having my own family, yeah. Yeah, I understand that. And so you return to Australia and you're obviously single and you see that all your friends are settling down and starting families. How did you handle that pressure? Um, Sometimes well, sometimes not so well. I think I... I put myself out there as much as I could in terms of dating apps and going out and trying to meet people and getting set up with people. Um, I also then found that that didn't, I wasn't really, it, it just wasn't happening. So then I went 
backpacking around um, Central and South America as you do, right? Um, <laughs> as you do. For three and a half months. <laughs> as you do. Love that. I um, so want to do that, by the way. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was one of the best travel experiences I've had. So then I got back. I think I was 31 when I got back home. Um, and then I faced a lot of a lot of health issues, actually, Um so that was a very eye-opening experience. I had um, had melanomas, so they had to have a few surgery. I actually had to have four surgeries for that. I'm sorry. Um, oh no, it's like I'm fine. But yeah, get your skin checked if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, and so that, yeah, I think once I got back to thirty, then I sort of dealt with it by travelling. And then I think once I hit that. 31 I realized that I can't just travel to kind of I suppose stay still and accept my reality um which I think I did I I mean I love traveling and I did travel for the purpose of traveling but I think I'd reached a new stage in my life where now travel was becoming more of something to distract me from dealing with not having been not been in the place where I thought I should be with my life would you say it was like a form of escapism for you absolutely yeah absolutely so you mentioned you went on a lot of dates in your 20s what was dating like for you in your 20s compared to your 30s did you like the apps (laughs) so I was a serial monogamous until I got to 26 I was when I was 18 I was in a year relationship then I was in a two-and-a-half-year relationship, single for about, I don't know, not long, a few months. Then I was in another two-and-a-half-year relationship. So that kind of brought me up to 26. And I got to 26 and I thought, I've never been on my own. I've never I've never had to do everything on my own before. Um, so I made a, a special effort for probably two years to be single. Um, I did a good job. <laughs> um <laughs> And, yeah, I think it, there's a lot more variety in terms of when you're dating in your 20s. It's a lot, for me, it was a lot more lighthearted. Um, I think the people that you meet in your 20s haven't been divorced and haven't had kids, don't have as many hang-ups. Um, and I felt like I could go on a date every night of the week, really. I don't feel that that's the case now I feel like the pool gets smaller um, and you're just trying to really um, weed through the narcissist of society it's kind of like (laughs) (laughs) dating in the in your 30s is kind of like going to the salvos (laughs) hoping that the previous owner didn't screw it up so much so that you can use it again and maybe someone just dropped a Louis Vuitton bag off and you've you know you're going to hit the jackpot that's kind of dating in your 30s it's so true as someone who took about five years off in their 20s from dating I so relate to what you're saying and when I did get back in the dating pool in my 20s like you said I felt like I could go on a date every night of the week in a lot of ways it felt like a full-time job and then you kind of hit your 30s and everyone around you is starting to get married or have children and people are busy with their careers 
And yeah, like you said, you're kind of like just left with what often feels like damaged goods, right? Yeah. You need to find someone that's dealt with those things in a healthy way. Absolutely. So would you say it's difficult then to meet like-minded partners now? For me... I have experienced either I meet the right person and it's the wrong circumstances. Interesting. Or I meet the perfect circumstances, but there's just nothing there. Oh my gosh, I so get that. The amount of times I've been on dates with guys where I'm like, you're perfect, but there's no chemistry. And it's like so upsetting. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? On paper, you're everything I want, but I literally just have no desire to kiss you or to see you again. It's so strange. So how long have you been single now for then? Nine years. Right. Okay. And how does that make you feel? The longest relationship I've had in nine years is six months. Yeah. Okay. So that's not really single for nine years then. Like eight and a half. Like, yeah. (laughs) You're rounding up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, you know, there's been, you know, little relationships in there. You've dated. I was very, very similar. And people would always say to me, no, but you were seeing this person, that person. I'm like, yeah, but no one I would call my boyfriend or say I love you to. So in my head, yeah. I was single the whole time. <laughs> yeah, dating and dating someone for a few months, like you're kind of together in a way, but I don't. it's not like you've been together for a year or two. Like that's kind of what I would consider a relationship. Really. Agreed. Well, I we could get into the definitions of that in a way, but... So single eight and a half years, how do yeah, you... Okay. <laughs> how do you feel about it? I've gone through feeling great about it, to feeling empowered by it, to feeling beating myself up over it, to... I think at now I've just stopped blaming myself for it. I don't blame myself anymore. I think it's just it's just the way it is. There's just so many different circumstances that come up in life and it doesn't mean that you're going to meet someone. Agreed. It doesn't mean you're going to end up in a relationship. And it do- you can do all the soul searching in the world and be the most intelligent, emotionally intelligent person, the most successful person, the most grounded person, have the best friends, the best family, but there's no guarantees that you're going to fall in love with someone. It just doesn't, life doesn't work that way. Well, there really aren't any guarantees in life, are there? Not really, no. Yeah, and love is like the one thing that we can't buy. So do you feel like you're running out of time to find the right person? I think I am more have the biological clock that's ticking and because now I've decided to become a mum on my own, I'm not, I, my, it's changed my whole perspective on relationships um, because now I'm just looking for someone for me that would be right for me and I'm not really looking for a father to my child for the next like two years. It takes so the pressure off. So that's done like off. a full 180. Yeah. It takes the pressure off. And if they, you know, if they're not sort of willing to support me through that, then like I get it, but it's probably not going to stop me at this point um, with going through with it. So. Yeah, good on you. Yeah. So if you don't meet the right person in life, though, will you be disappointed? 
in some ways we all think that we're going to meet someone one day. And I hope that it does happen for me one day, but I do realise that, you know, it hasn't happened in the last nine years and the next nine years could be really different or it could be quite the same in that respect. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Like a, a lot of my disappointment has come around the grief of not having a family and the grief of my life in terms of having children, having a family is going to be very different. My reality is very different from my expectation. So do I think I would be happier in my day-to-day life um, with a partner? Mm, Like probably not that much happier. Um, But dealing with that grief around having that family unit, I think is probably the hardest thing. Interesting. And do you think if you met the right person in your 20s, you would have been ready to settle down? If they were willing to come and do all the crazy shit I wanted to do in my <laughs> 20s, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, would have, I wouldn't have been ready for the house, the car, the career, the baby in my 20s, but I would have been more than happy if they wanted to come backpacking with me Yeah, in third world countries, for sure. And having done all of that, would you say you have a stronger sense of self? and sort of understanding of what you want out of life for having been single? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think I couldn't have lived my life any other way in terms of the things that I've done with it. And it's just unfortunate that a relationship hasn't manifested in any of those things. Um, But I felt when I got to 26, I really needed a few years on my own to really shake the habits that I had from those relationships to really change who I am in order to get a relationship that was going to be different Um, because I kind of feel like if you don't do your your own work and deal with your own things you're gonna just keep going the relationship that you attract is going to be the same I couldn't agree more and that was one of the main reasons that I also took five years off from dating because I felt like I was repeating the same sort of patterns and behaviours and I just needed to work on my own psychology and also really figure out what my values were so I could attract somebody like-minded moving forward. But I mean, you mentioned you're on the apps, you mentioned that you were dating a lot. What was that like for you? I did enjoy dating in terms of meeting someone, a really cool guy and going out and having some drinks and having a really good time. I enjoyed that aspect of it. I didn't enjoy the whole, you know, inability to communicate, the ghosting, the, you know, not being honest with themselves about what they wanted, not being honest with me about, you know, what their expectations of me were. And I find that, you know, some men are just, they're they're narcissistic and they can hide it or they're, um, you know, they think that they're ready for a relationship, but they're really not. So I don't enjoy that aspect of it. I feel like we're similar in the sense that you and I attract narcissists. (laughs) That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I I've, I can pick it now. I'm very, very good at picking it. And I can smell one before I see it, see them. Like I could even probably pick if a guy was a narcissist before I even met up with him, to be honest. Couldn't agree more. I'm so good at it. Like 
I, all this dating has got me a PhD in narcissism. <laughs> I feel like we graduated <laughs> from the same school, Ingrid. <laughs> um, a grad dip in asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but something I loved um, when we were communicating before this episode was how you mentioned that you realized that often what you were looking for in a potential partner was actually the person that you were or becoming. Talk to me about that a bit more. I think that comes down to we want validation. We all get our validation from something, whether it's our career, whether we want to admit it or not. I know that, you know, some hippies would say that it should all come from within. And some of it does. Our happiness does come from within. But we we externalize that to a point, right? So it's the house we choose to live in. It's the standard we choose to live our life at. It's the car we drive, the careers that we choose, the pets that we own that all make us feel like this is who we are as people. And I think relationships are the same. You know, if you want to get into a relationship with someone, you're going to have certain things that you're looking for in that person. Um, And... I I sort of feel that I have looked for this person that I thought that I wanted to be with, but in actual fact, I've kind of just become that person myself. And whether I maybe looked for a relationship for validation, I probably I probably did. I probably did feel more validated in some of the relationships that I've been in. Um, but that's probably my own downfall, really, and my own belief systems that probably needed to be challenged because I don't think that that's entirely correct to think that everyone in a relationship is more validated and has more value in their life and has a stronger purpose because they're in that that relationship. So, and I think as I think we we sensationalize relationships a lot. Completely. So I think that's what that's where it stems from. I just think the the realization I've had recently is that whether you're single or in a relationship, both statuses come with their own set of problems, you know, and challenges. And when you're in a relationship, you're going to glorify those days when you were single and could be selfish. <laughs> um, but when you're single, not knowing whether you're ever going to meet your person makes you glorify people in relationships. So it's a catch-22 in a sense. But I'm curious, I mean, obviously, you and I have both been single for a very long time. What are some of the problems and pressures you think women face when it comes to modern dating? I think we need to be really careful of narcissists, really mindful that people aren't always really honest about what where they're at in their life. Um, and I think sometimes the dating apps are a good way uh, for people to not be accountable for their actions because if, I, if someone was dating me through a friend, they might stop and think for a second, hang on, if this goes wrong, if I do this, if I say this, if I lie about this, if I lead this person down the garden path, I'm actually going to have my other friend to answer to. I'm actually, that information is going to get into my social circle and it's going to you know, affect my social status and potentially my life. Whereas 
with dating apps, it's very easy just not to be accountable for your behavior because, you know, that may never actually really get back to you because you don't know that person's friends, you don't know that person's family. Um, and I think that, you know, that for women, um, I don't know whether women do the same thing. They probably do. But I think men are hold a special place for that. So can you elaborate? Did somebody just lead you on and give you the impression like they wanted to commit to you but they didn't actually? I've had that happen over 20 times. Wow. Over 20 times. I've had men tell me that they want a relationship and behave in a way that they want a relationship and then turn around as if they didn't. Like you're the crazy one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, many times. I've had men lie to me about where they're at with their divorce. They said, told me they were divorced and I found out that they were still married. Wow. I've had men lie to me about um, having a vasectomy. <gasps> they didn't tell me they had a vasectomy and they lied to me about their age. Yeah. Oh, that's a new one. I've never oh. heard that one before. Yeah. Oh, I could, like, the list goes on. <laughs> Do you think we expect too much from our partners and relationships these days? If you're looking for one single thing in your life to make you happy, whether it's a relationship or one like a career, one particular thing to make you happy and fulfil you, I think you're going to be rudely shocked. And I think that's the same with relationships. If you're look out there looking for someone to make you happy, I think you've already set them up to fail. And I think some people do that. Um, and I think is what happens is people get into relationships and they're not emotionally secure and instead of working through their emotions and their own drama, they project it onto the relationship. And so if you think a relationship's going to fix that or that you think that that's happening because of the relationship, it's not. It's happening because of the your projection. And I think... Yeah, if you're expecting that to change because you're in a relationship, I just, that's not going to happen. Absolutely. And so what has been a key takeaway from being single for you? I think I probably realised how resilient I am in terms of being able to achieve and do things on my own that I, I thought I would probably need to have a partner for, but I've actually just done it on my own because I've wanted those things. Yeah, like you mentioned, starting a family. So obviously having your own family is very important to you and you've decided you haven't met the right person and you're still going to go ahead and start your own family. What has that journey been like for you? Some of it's been really hard. Like I think I'm in a better place with it now. But some of it's been a lot of grief and a lot of um, ups and downs because I feel excited about having a child um but I feel also very sad that it's not going to happen the way that I thought it would um but I find that the guys that I date sort of in their early 40s late 30s are more of what I want in a partner but they've already got kids and they don't want any more interesting so it's hard because the guys that I date that are my own age are a little bit younger and, yes, we both want kids and we've never had kids with anyone else before and maybe they've been married or maybe they haven't. 
they're not emotionally mature enough for me. They're not, we don't connect in the same way. We don't have the same life experiences that have shaped them. So for me, I feel like if I have to do the kid thing on my own, I'm then going to be in a different market to date guys that are a little bit older. They've got their kids. I've got my kids. I'm not going to have an ex in the background. Um, and that's sort of that that idea toys around in my head that that's probably how it's going to work for me now. How interesting. So in a sense, you're like opening the door to a completely different market where, like you said, you both have your own children Uh, which means you're also available to be in a relationship without the pressure of having to have kids with that person. Is there an app for that? (laughs) If not, there should be. (laughs) Divorce with kids looking for solo mum. Right? (laughs) There should be an app. There you go. You can have it. The idea is all yours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So what has the process of getting your body ready been like? Um, I read a book, actually. I've got it in front of me. It starts with The Egg by Rebecca Fett. And it goes into how, because we all have this idea, once you turn 35, your eggs start to deplete, the quality isn't as good, you're going to end up with Down syndrome babies. And you know what? Like, there's some truth to it. Um, That's why we all talk about it. Not Um, to scare anyone. (laughs) Oh, just, yeah, just lightly. Yeah, I Um, heard once you're over, like, 30, they refer to you as a geriatric pregnancy. (laughs) What do they say now? It's actually over 35. So if you're 35, you're called AMA, which is Advanced Maternal Age. Oh, okay, slightly more polite. Yeah. (laughs) Slightly more polite. Still don't call me that to my face, but slightly (laughs) more polite. Um... So I was reading this book and is what some of the studies in the book was saying uh, were, were that the eggs are all in our ovaries and in these little follicles on our ovaries that are in an immature state. And then when we ovulate, those the egg goes to a mature state so it can be um, I suppose the word dispatched from the ovary so that it can be fertilised um, in the fallopian tube now is what some of the studies have suggested and some of them are really good randomized control trials um with really good numbers um so the strong evidence for some of it um is that in that maturing process, the the chromosomal structure of the egg changes. So if you can provide your body with the right nutrients and the right vitamins and minerals that egg needs um, in that maturing state, um, you can decrease the risk of chromosomal abnormalities. Now, when your body gets to 35, it starts to deplete in those nutrients, minerals and vitamins. Um, so it's not that your eggs have gotten old and you're 35. It's that the stores that you have in your body to um, produce the energy to um, mature these eggs is different. So you can actually help your body get and get your egg quality better um, through vitamins and diet. How interesting. Mm. I wish more people yeah. knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And so is that what you've been doing? I've been on these vitamins. I have morning vitamins, midday vitamins and nighttime vitamins. So, yeah. <laughs> 
and diet, like a lot of methylfolate um, is really good, like oranges, uh, avocado. Um, so there's a few things that I've just added to my diet um, to get my body ready. I'm just trying to get my fitness up and, yeah. And have you noticed a difference in the way you feel? Not really, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> comforting <laughs> I'm a pretty like healthy sort of fit person anyway like I it's not like I had drastic changes to make um right. I, I think like these were these are um vitamins that are gonna you know improve your egg quality I don't know whether it's going to actually make you feel any different so let's talk about finding a donor have you been successful with that yet yes um, so I found a donor from the States. So wow. I went through Queensland Fertility Group um, and they have donors from Australia, donors from the States, um, and you log on, you pay for your log on so you can browse your donors. Um, and I chose a guy from the States. Um, they get paid for it over there. So I think that's, you know, it's a bit more expensive. So it's... Um, instead of $800 to get an Australian donor, it was $2,000. Um, but he was one of three boys, um, and he's studying aerospace engineering. His two brothers are in the Air Force. His um, mum is, I think, like English and Welsh, which is the same as my mum's side of the family. So I thought that would be, you know, genetic-wise. Um, yeah. He's 25, so he's young. He's probably got better sperm than any guys I'm going to date <laughs> these days, that's for sure. Wow. <laughs> Genetically speaking, he's, yeah, had all his karyotype done and um, he's like O-positive blood type. And I'm A positive, so um, it's a good match. So you've mentioned the $2,000 fee. Are there any other expenses involved in this process? Yeah. So I have private health, so a lot of my private health will cover, like, well, it'll cover some of the costs. Out of pocket per round, it's going to cost me about 10000 a round. And how many rounds do you think you might need to do? I'm hoping one. Great. It should, like, I mean, should's an irrational word, but <laughs> I, I feel like because there's not too much, I'm, I'm doing this not because, you know, I've tried to get pregnant for years and years and haven't. I'm yeah. doing this because I don't have a partner. So, you know, let's hope that, yeah. Have the doctors told you how common it is for women to do this when they don't have a partner? Not like statistically. Be interesting to find out. You know, once you start Googling and looking at podcasts and things like that, there's a lot of information on it. There are a lot of women in the same circumstances. So does being a single parent scare you? No, I'm not scared by being a single parent. I don't think that I wouldn't manage. I sometimes think the financial burden is going to be, you know, because I've got a mortgage and I think sometimes that I'm a little bit like, oh, God. Um, but I think 
I'm not scared by it. I just sometimes wonder whether I will have a child and then really feel a piece a piece missing. Um, but I don't. If I don't have a child, then I kind of am throwing the dice on whether or not I have children in my life. Whereas if I have a child, I'm kind of only rolling the dice on having a partner. And did you ever consider waiting longer? Because you mentioned you're 35, right? 35 on the 2nd of January. Right. So you still technically have time to have kids. I kind of feel like if I, even let's say I meet someone tomorrow, by the time that relationship is established and in a place where we're talking about having kids together because I think we can all say that we've mentioned that we want kids very early on in a dating scenario um but in terms of actually talking about having kids together you're probably going to be like six months to 12 months and then so that brings me up to 36 and then what So in my experience, guys have said that they do want those things and then they turn around and they say that they don't. So then I could then be 36 or 37 and I've just waited 12 months to two years for a guy to make up his mind about whether or not he wants kids or he wants kids with me. And it's very easy for guys to just pull the pin because they don't have the same pressures that we do. They don't have that biological clock. I mean, for me to turn around at 36 and 37 and go down this IVF route, that, that that would be a lot more of a consequence than them turning around and meeting someone that's, you know, five years younger than me and, um who has the time to wait for them to be ready. Yeah. Because I think guys are very quick to say what they want um, without giving it much thought about how many fertile years I have left. <laughs> so I don't know whether I could date, go into dating again now thinking, okay, well, I'm going to give them 12 months. I think the emotional and psychological hardship that would put me through, that would put me through, would be worse than me being a single mum. It's so true and I so relate to what you're saying because I started seeing somebody earlier this year uh, whose business is growing exponentially and there's talk of him taking his business overseas And I was like, okay, well, what does that mean for our relationship? And then I basically just had to put my foot down and say, if you don't see a future, you have to let me know now because I don't want to wake up in a year's time at 33 in a relationship that's not going anywhere because 33 for you is very different to 33 for me. 33 for us is very different, yeah, for 43 for them. Right? (laughs) Or 53, Honestly, they've got a lot of time. They've got decades on us. 
And it's just the sad reality. So, yeah, I completely understand what you're saying, but I'm curious, do you think Mm. a child needs both parents growing up? I've run through this, like, I suppose that's probably one of the biggest things, like, my brother had a problem with in the beginning with me doing this. Um, He was very much like, you know, what if it's a boy and he needs a father? And I have listened to a podcast and it's on Susan Glombock. She did some research out of um, the University of Cambridge and it talked about the quality of family relationships and child development. And it followed, I don't know how many, but it's a longitudinal study that follows um, kids from lesbian, gay marriages, um, divorced, um, single mums that have support, single mums that don't have support. Um, and is what that study found was that the children that, um, I don't know whether what they mean by child development, whether they mean emotional development, psychological development, whether they mean, um, you know, ability to meet milestones in their development or what their, you know, IQ was because child development to me is quite a broad term. But whatever they mean, the study found that children who came from a family, no matter what the situation was, the children that did the worst were children whose mums didn't have support so whether or whether or not that mum's support came from her mum her her dad her brother her sister friends whatever um if those interpersonal relationships that that mother had um were rocky or not healthy the children did worse and then when the mum had support the children did better they found that the children who did the worst were children from divorced families. Does that mean your friends and family have been supportive of them? Most of them have. It's becoming more common, but I still think it's quite new to become a solo parent. Um, and I think some people, some things people say, I think are a little bit, you know, insensitive in terms of like people are like, oh, well, you could just adopt and you're like or you could just be the fun auntie or you you know or creating false hope in terms of like oh well you will meet someone you just need to be patient it's like well actually there's no guarantees that you will that I will meet someone or people say you do have a lot of time you know and it's like well actually if you look at the statistics on fertility um, declining I, I don't actually have a lot of time Um, We all know that at 35, our um, eggs, um, you know, decrease in quality from that point at what what rate and how much that will affect uh, um, live birth. Um, That's probably debatable, but it's still something we all know we need to think about. So I think sometimes people are supportive in just being excited and being happy for me but I still think that there are um things that people say that they haven't really thought through um or like you're so attractive why you will you will meet someone and I'm like well so 
everyone that's unattractive isn't in a relationship and everyone that's attractive is in a relationship well we don't really need to look that far to see that that's not true not true at um, all. and often not i find attractive all. women actually struggle more to find uh relationships because yeah we, because we have more options and potential suitors are often more intimidated by them yes definitely because they don't appear to be as approachable but also it doesn't take into account that often people also have miscarriages so you the first time you might yeah. fall pregnant you might not be successful either with the pregnancy yeah. so there's a lot of things to take into consideration and so we've obviously discussed that, you know, you're sort of opening this door to this whole other dating pool of mm. parents um, who have children from previous partnerships or have decided to become solo parents on their own as well. Do you think it will mm. be difficult to date as a single parent? It's going to make me weed them out pretty quick, I think. Like, I think it will be difficult, but I can't imagine it being any more difficult than it is now. Like, I still, I think at the moment I have two pools of men that I'm going through. One who are like 31 to 35 who never been married and don't have kids and then risking them being not ready in a couple of years' time when, when I, you know, could potentially be 37 by them and them still not being ready. And then that's the way the relationship breaks down. And then I have this other pool of men where uh, they're 38 to 42. I'd probably connect better with them emotionally and intellectually um, and, you know, just on a whole lot of other levels as well. But they're not going to meet my needs in becoming a parent. So that's going to cause also a breakdown in the relationship and resentment in the relationship because they've got their needs met in terms of having children and I don't. So it's a double-edged sword, whereas I suppose if I just have a child on my own, my needs are met in that sense of the in that sense of my life and then someone can, you know, come along and be my, my partner and it not really be about that anymore. Would you have considered dating somebody who does have their own children but is still open to having more children? Yeah, that's fine. Will you have time to date as a single parent? I probably won't for the first year. Like, if, I, if, I have, if I'm pregnant sort of February, January, February next year, I probably won't date for a year just because I just want to, you know, focus on being pregnant and getting the baby, I prob well, probably make it two years, really, because I, I, I don't think I will go on dates when I'm pregnant. I just don't think, I don't know, I don't really feel that that's a good time. Um, and then once the baby's born and a little bit older, sort of say one, then I might be like, okay, I'm ready to, you know. Get back get out there. Get a babysitter <laughs> and go. Yeah. And if you're still single in five years' time, say, will you consider doing IVF again? Yeah, I think so. Interesting. I think I would just have another one. Yeah. So hopefully I'll get a few embryos. Yeah. Yeah. That would be ideal. And what advice do you have for women wanting to go down the IVF route? Mm, I think just become, like, be very aware that you're not alone and be very aware that people who don't have this experience 
don't know how to support you unless you tell them. And just be very mindful of taking on board other people's comments. I think it is very easy for people to put salt in your wounds if you haven't spent any time healing those wounds yourself. And just, yeah, get on, you know, the podcast, start Googling it, start reading books about it. There are so many women across the globe that are in the same situation. And I think if we just talk more about it, it's just going to be not so taboo anymore. I think people are going to start realising and maybe men will step up their game a little bit, right? Because they might they might realise that don't actually need them. And <laughs> I can live without you. you so know, step up or move aside. <laughs> step yeah, like step up your game, guys, you know? Like if you think about a gay couple, uh you know, um, two gay guys having a baby together, like that's, you know, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 for egg donation and surrogate. Um, and then you think about a woman that wants to have a baby, we can pay $500 for a round of IUI, well, for the sperm, and then maybe two, like $2,500 for a one round of IUI which is just where it's basically the same chances of having sex in terms of percentage, like 20% chance every time. So, you know, like they do need us more than we need them to have children. And I think that's where women are made to feel like they're the crazy ones for wanting children and they're the ones that are being too intense for wanting a family. And I, I think we all want the same thing. We need to move away from judging each other about wanting these things. They're very normal things to want and men are not trapped into wanting these things. They want these things too. So, yeah, I think we need to be mindful of them. When I was dating, I often felt a lot of pressure from men to have children. Like it was often the reverse where they were like, I want kids now and I wasn't ready. Um, so if you've ever experienced anyone making you feel crazy for wanting kids, that's just so shocking to me because you're right. Men definitely want the same things as us. They just have a longer timeline than we do. And I was pleasantly surprised to hear um, how expensive the process was. I was actually expecting it to be a lot more expensive and perhaps I've only been educated from people who are doing it in America where, like you said, it is slightly more expensive than perhaps it is here in Australia. But what has your journey taught you the most so far about yourself? I think that I just, like, can manage stuff. I... You know, like I eventually I'll find a positive in it. Eventually I bring myself back around to getting things on track. It definitely hasn't been easy for me, any of this stuff. Um, and it's been like a very rude shock to me that I'm, you know, nearly like 35 in a couple of weeks and I'm still single. But you can just make space for it. Like you can just, you know, find some positives in it. Absolutely. I see a lot of positives. I feel like any child you bring into this world, one day they'll realise how incredible you were for doing this on your own and making the decision to do it on your own. And anyone you date in the future will think that you're equally as incredible. And I think it's important to remind ourselves that if you're still in your 30s, you're still very young in the scheme of things. You know, it's yeah. just unfortunate that we do have to factor our biological clock into the the situation, you know, 
But yeah, 35, you still have a whole life to meet somebody and spend your life with them. But looking back, is there anything about your timeline that you would change if you could? I don't have any regrets. I think if I had come home from London and met someone the way that I expected to, I think my toolkit for life in terms of my resilience wouldn't have changed because what I thought was going to happen happened. And now that it hasn't happened, it's made me reach for other things to cope. And I've had to dig really deep to get through it. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd just gotten what I wanted when I expected it to happen. Absolutely. It's how life works, hey? (laughs) Throws a little bit of adversity (laughs) our way and forces us to level up. (laughs) Love that. Yeah. (laughs) So this podcast is about creating the manual for the modern woman. What are three pieces of advice you wish you knew starting out? I read a book called Attached. Um, Love that book. Oh, it should be required reading. My life. <laughs> Everyone should have to Year read that 12 book. Reading. Yes, I agree. I'm almost would be put off by a guy who said he wouldn't be willing to read it. I because I think if we can understand how our attachment system works we can create a healthy relationship with a lot of people in our lives couldn't agree more so read that book um (laughs) instincts i think trust them i probably use my pragmatic and logical mind to um, make decisions about who was right for me who was wrong for me but in my gut there was something not right and the times I haven't trusted that have worked out really badly for me. <laughs> me too. The signs are always there. Your nervous system. Yeah, and exactly. And your your gut, I mean, I, there was a guy that I was dating pre-pandemic, like literally a month or two before the whole pandemic took place, and I was like sick to my stomach while I was dating him. I lost my appetite. All I did was pace around my house. I couldn't sleep. I think I momentarily even picked up smoking again, even though I had quit like four years prior. And it was just like the three months that I was dating this guy. And the second we broke up, it was like I got rid of the virus and could be go back to being myself again. And then a whole like worldwide virus broke out um, and I was sent into lockdown. But it's like the signs are there, right? And it's like we choose to ignore them because we're like hopeful that the person is going to turn out to be somebody that they're not. But yeah. Yes. I completely agree. It's your attachment system in overdrive. A hundred percent. Like, you know, for you to be pacing and all that, like your nervous system tells you a lot about someone. Completely. Mm. And your third piece of advice? It's just don't beat yourself up. Like, it's not, not, you just don't have control over everything. It's not all your fault. Like, it just happens. Shit just happens. You know, and dating's just one of them. Like, it just, it's, there's nothing wrong with you for being single. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. And, you know, I think, because I get people say to me a lot, like, why are you single? You're so funny, you're this and you're that. And I think we really need to be mindful of where we're getting our validation from. And why are we so why are we so scared of being alone? Like, what's 
Like, what do you think is going to happen to us if we do spend our lives alone? Like, is it going to be the worst thing in the world? Rather um, that than be in a bad relationship. 100%. I think the question is why are so many people unable to be alone? If you're in that state of mind, you're going to go for people that are really bad for you. And so what's next for you? Next for me... um, Aside from the baby. (laughs) I am writing a book at the moment. As you do. Casual. (laughs) In my spare time. (laughs) The book that I'm writing is called 87 First Dates and I'm literally just going through every um, date that I've been on and how the date happened, um, like in terms of the app in real life, how we met, what they did, what they wore, things that they said, things that they did. Um, oh, and my I'm gosh, I would have hated to have dated you. Out. Oh, my God. Imagine. I will change your name. I will change your name, Nicole. Don't worry. I'll call you Natalie. No one will know. <laughs> so you've been on 87 first dates. Is that correct? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, you're a dating expert. So maybe I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, like the study I was talking about before, you know, maybe creating some business around that for solo mums or mums that don't have support from their partners. Um, Cause you know, I, I do have a nursing background and um, familiar with babies and what they need. Um, and just, you know, providing support, like sleeping routines, feeding, changing, what's normal, what's not normal, when to go to the doctor, when not to go to the doctor, um, that kind of stuff. Or, you know, we don't get user manuals for babies. Um, we really they don't. They can be complicated. <laughs> yeah, as someone who's observing a lot of my friends have their first or second children, I know for a fact that that would be really beneficial to a lot of people. Because yeah. a lot of them have been sleep deprived for two years now because they can't get their baby to sleep, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. hard. There's not enough like prep work pre baby. <laughs> a lot of people go into it There's blind. Like none. Yeah. We think that we should know. We don't know. If you're going into a new job, would you not like read about the company before? That's how I think of it. But that's the thing, you don't know what sort of baby you're going to have, you know? Yeah. That's why they need the support, like what you're going to bring to them. So that's amazing. And I wish you all the best with that, as well as your baby journey. Ingrid, thank you so much for coming on the Single at 30 podcast. It's been amazing speaking to you today. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for listening to this Single at 30 bonus episode, Navigating Life When You're Single at 35, with the inspiring Ingrid Stefani. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. Please keep an eye out for the next bonus app where we will be discussing all things sex. If you have any questions, feedback, or even an episode idea, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30 or join the Single at 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.